Open wide and tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Jolly. This is part two of the Red Box Whip Round, a special mini-series of interviews going behind the scenes of the Whip's office. From the little black book of misdemeanours to what's in their drinks cabinet, I've been speaking to serving and former government and opposition whips about what they do and how they do it. In this episode, I spoke to Alistair Carmichael, who was the Lib Dem chief whip for the first three and a half years of the coalition with the Tories, and revealed Scotch whisky played a big part in keeping the show on the road. So, Alistair Carmichael, let me take you back to May 2010. Lib Dem's going into government. Lots mm-hmm. of your colleagues setting off for exciting ministerial mm-hmm. jobs. Nick Clegg calls you up and says, I want to put you in charge of discipline. And not only <laughs> do you have to get all of the Lib Dems to vote through all these horrible Tory policies, you've also got to work mm-hmm. incredibly closely with the, mm-hmm. with the Tories on this as well. What was your what Well, was your I suspect response? if that had been the pitch, it, it would have been a rather unattractive prospect. Of course, I mean, there's a lot more to whipping than just discipline. Yeah. There is a pastoral side to it. So you're helping colleagues who have uh, difficulties with... Business life, um, with their family life, with their constituency life, managing their staff in any number of different ways. Uh, There's a lot of just basic uh, human resource management, making sure that committees are staffed, that people have offices that they can go to and work in, um, and just about anything else that nobody else wants to pick up tends to come back to the door of the whips. So for that reason, it's not a job that everybody uh, looks for. It's certainly not one that everybody is suited for. But it was something that I had had my eye on for a while. And uh, when I was offered it, I uh, didn't hesitate to accept. I I had a whale of a time as a a whip. And at probably one of the most exciting times of modern government and parliamentary politics, uh, well, until now. 
So you were the the government's deputy chief whip, but Lib Dem. I was Liberal Democrat chief whip, and I was the government deputy chief whip. And uh, the government chief whip at the time was Patrick McLaughlin, who was the Conservative chief whip, and Patrick John Randall, who was then the Conservative deputy chief whip, and myself managed the government uh, in Parliament. And actually, uh, I, I think I speak with a, some justifiable pride that uh, we did it well. You know, it was one of the big successes, and uh, little documented successes of the coalition, especially in the early days, was the way that we made the whipping team work. We did it essentially by identifying what we called the three pillars. And the three pillars were, first of all, the internal party management for the Liberal Democrats, which was the responsibility of myself and my team of deputies and staff, the internal party management and the Conservatives, uh, which Patrick and John did, and then the management of government business, which we did jointly. You know, remember just what the first few months of that coalition government was like. All the clever people were saying, this can't work, it's not going to last, the Liberal Democrats won't take uh, discipline, the you know, Conservatives won't work with them, this is bound to fail. And it was going to fail in a week, it was going to fail in a month, it was <laughs> going to fail in two months, six months. And then after about seven or eight months, people stopped writing that story. They stopped writing it because actually we did hold remarkably good discipline. Uh, sometimes actually just by letting people go off quietly and do their own thing uh, or just find something else to do. How did you manage to do that then? How did you manage to keep the show on the road with the Lib Dems, apart from just them not being here when sticky votes happened? Part, well, no, I mean, that was the okay, that was the exception rather than the rule, and that was something that had to be exceptional, otherwise the whole thing would unravel pretty quickly. The great strength that the Liberal Democrats had was that we went through a torturous internal process before we signed up to coalition. If you remember, uh, it started on the Saturday after polling day in 2010. Uh, I remember arriving here half asleep uh, on the Saturday morning, fighting my way through uh, reporters and television cameras to get into LG House in Smith Square. And we, we got report back from the negotiating team. We saw the draft of the coalition agreement. We said, this works, that works, we can cope with that, we'll not accept this. There was a lot of to and fro over that weekend. And then I think about two o'clock in the morning on either the Tuesday or maybe even into the Wednesday following the general election, we had a coalition agreement. Now, the significance of that from the whipping point of view was that when the difficult days came, I was able to say to my colleagues, look, you might not like this. I don't really like a lot of this myself, but we're in coalition. Coalition means compromises, and you voted for it. This is what you voted for. Because they all for. signed up to the deal. Everybody was signed up for it. The Conservatives had different challenges because, in fact, they managed it in a very different way. Because they didn't get the parliamentary... They, they didn't the have that history yeah, yeah. of uh, internal party democracy. Who knew all those, those Liberal Democrat internal party democracy... <laughs> Uh, well, processes, processes having, having could, a benefit. Could end up having a, a, a benefit in, in parliamentary terms, but it did. It made a, a real difference, and it was one of the things that allowed us to keep 
a greater level of, of internal party discipline than, uh, than people essentially ever expected. And how did the whipping operations differ between the Lib Dems and the Conservatives? I mean... The, if I was going to use terrible caricature and stereotype, I'd say that the Lib Dem one was probably cuddlier and more consensual and the Tories were more sort of do as I say or I'll break your legs. Is that a fair reflection? Well, I think they're both caricatures um, and they're caricatures for a reason. But uh, I think it worked as a government because we were both happy to accept that the other knew how to manage their own people. I, I don't know exactly how the Conservatives instilled discipline and I know that on days when it came to, for example, a vote on Europe they just couldn't, you know uh, when the E word was mentioned, the Tory whips just headed for the hills because their people were ungovernable and What was you, the, what you was the word the, that had the same impact on the Lib Dems? You, you see the, the fruits of that. There was never a point even, you know, the, the most difficult time in, in uh, Liberal Democrat whipping in my time in the office was the tuition fees yeah. day. But uh, there were very, very few of my colleagues who you would describe as being ungovernable. It was difficult for everybody. People reached different conclusions for different reasons in many ways. But uh, everybody was very reasoned and rational and respectful of, of the differences, which was another reason. You know... <laughs> My view of party discipline is always that it's not something that can be enforced. It has to be earned. So you have to engage with people. You have to persuade them. You won't uh, coerce a, a liberal very easily, and certainly not for long. So if it had been about coercion, frankly, the whole thing would not have worked. One thing, talking about the tuition fees uh, voters, I remember... In the height of all of that, and I think not, in my head it was when effigies were being burned outside Parliament as well, but Vince Cable suddenly popped up on the telly and announced that he was considering abstaining on his own uh, policy, which presumably that sort of thing, is th- that leaves whips with their heads in their hands. Uh, well, no, I mean, actually, the, the starting point on that was that uh, the coalition agreement provided for us all to abstain, yeah. and that's what I would have liked. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, once... Uh, people sort of hardened their attitude and said there were no circumstances under which they would vote for it, then that made the position of others who were in government uh, a bit more uh, tricky. And, uh, you know, we ended up uh, inevitably splitting in three ways, which was the most damaging thing of all. You know, that was the, that was the deer. Do you think that if you had gone down the road of everybody abstaining, that that ultimately would have made any difference then what happened to the Lib Dems in 2015? I don't... Well, I have a more nuanced view of what happened to the, the Liberal Democrats in 2015. The significance of tuition fees, I think, was the extent to which it damaged our own self-image. Mm. Uh, and after... Uh, a, a period of time, you know, people in other parties who wanted to make a point with us, we'd talk about it, um, and very few people ever raised it on the doorstep, and uh, the only people who really continued to beat themselves up about it were Liberal Democrats <laughs> and, and Liberal Democrat activists. To the point that, that Nick released a video that became a song which was released in the charts. Uh, well, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to think that was crazy politics. Yeah. Little did we know what politics still had to, to come up with. Who was the most difficult to whip? Oh, no, no, no. no sorry. The first rule of whipping is you never, ever mention names. 
uh, and it, it would even though uh, that, it that, be, that, that, you do it take that be, to your uh, it would be unfair grade. to start naming names not Did- even Mike Hancock <laughs> <laughs> open wide and tuck in to spooning with Mark Wogan the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey blindfolded with a dollop of light-hearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top-tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. And uh, do the Lib Dems have a little black book or a little yellow book? No, with, I, I don't even believe actually that the Tories do either. Although they did have this a, is the, the, book, the book which they has had the, anonymous the dirty secrets in. Yeah, certainly. If there was anything like that that you knew, and actually, ironically, you tended to find out about what was going on in the lives of MPs and other parties as much as what was going on in the MPs of your own, then the last thing you would ever do was write it down. Yeah. But you don't forget. And so uh, the, the idea that Whips would find out an MP was having an affair and then use that against them to make sure they voted the, the right way, is that, is that a myth? That's a bit of mythology. I mean, look... Uh, but always uh, worth a bit of mythology if sometimes you need to twist an arm. Oh, well, it was certainly something I, I, I never did. I can tell you that. You did get to know quite a lot about your colleagues and, uh, you know, their non-public life. But uh, that was more often than not because you were helping them through it. You know, you were using party contacts maybe to get legal advice or or whatever else for them, uh, rather than because you'd heard some gossip and you were going to use it to turn the screw. As I say, that you know that's coercion, and uh, you can't really uh, treat grown uh, men and women uh, in that way if you're going to uh, if you're going to get them to uh, make the necessary compromises. If it's something they don't like, then you do it by persuasion, not coercion. And of course, in your role as deputy chief whip, you also sat around the cabinet table, so you you had a front row seat for mm-hmm. a big chunk of the uh, coalition. What, what do you make of the Tory party now? Did you expect, when you were sitting there, did you think that Theresa May was the one who was going to... I've said for years I thought Theresa chair. May would be the next leader of the Conservative Party. Not just because of what I saw in government, um, but in point of fact, uh, I once had the opportunity to see her speak as an after-dinner speaker to a predominantly Conservative audience, shall we say, some, some fairly well-heeled people. And she just connected with them 
you know, and this was essentially a conservative audience, although it wasn't a conservative function. It was a, yeah. a, 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 a community-based function. She just electrified the room, uh, and she, you know, remembering that it is the party activists and the members and supporters who elect the leader. I thought that she was uh, going to be the, the the next leader. I thought. Ultimately, of course, I didn't foresee how it would happen. I thought essentially George Osborne and Boris Johnson would probably fight to a standstill and she would then walk over both of them. But uh, I always thought she was uh, the likeliest successor to Cameron. In the end, it was Michael Gove and Boris who fought to a standstill <laughs> instead. <laughs> or so we thought, yeah. Um, and your uh, experience of, of whipping and trying to instill discipline and deliver the votes and all mm-hmm. that, is there anything you wish you'd done differently? Oh, yes, lots of things. You know, um, there's plenty of occasions where either on an individual level or collectively, you, you think, you know, we really made a mistake there, we should have insisted, we should have held out, we should have done that differently. But as I used to say to my team, look, you know, there's no manual for this. There's no instruction book about how you run a coalition government in a, in, an, in a UK parliament that's still essentially designed for a binary system of politics that, a, that, that, that sort of expired in the 70s and 80s. You know, one of the regrets I have is that we didn't drive forward a parliamentary uh, reform which would have accommodated coalition government uh, because uh, that was one of the, the challenges which, in retrospect, we, we could have done more with. And now there are only eight Lib Dem MPs. Is there such a thing as a chief whip? Well, there is still, yes. And who uh, is that? Tom Brake okay. is the Liberal Democrat chief whip. Uh, it's a very different job from the one that I did, but, you know, any whipping job in opposition is different yeah. from the one in government because in government you're not just responsible for the internal party management and the internal party discipline, you are responsible for all the management of government business across the whole piece. You have to work closely with the office of the leader of the house and uh, you really have to uh, you have to sort of keep the feet to the fire of the various departments. So, I, I, you know, Patrick McLaughlin and I worked well together because we kind of uh, saw that it was us against the rest of them, <laughs> the rest of them being the other government ministers. And uh, I, I think we got to a point where government ministers knew that if they were bringing forward legislation then they would not bring it to the Cabinet Committee that cleared it for introduction unless it genuinely was. And if they brought legislation that wasn't ready to be presented, then they could expect to be subject to a fairly rigorous degree of scrutiny from Patrick and myself. And you got on well with Patrick, didn't you? You, you... Yes, we we worked well together. Uh, That was just a, a... an accident of of, um, of personalities, character as yeah. much as anything else. Um, we both came from a sort of let's just say ordinary backgrounds. You know, Patrick is a is a former miner, which is quite unusual in the Conservatives. I'm the son of a hill farmer, and uh, you know, we we both, as I say, have come from fairly uh, ordinary backgrounds, and we both actually. 
working for bosses in Nick Clegg and David Cameron who wanted to make coalition work. So we both got a very clear steer from the leaders of our respective parties that we want to make this work, we want to make this last and it's your job to ensure that it does. You know, we, we, we did become, we'd remain quite good friends. Uh, there were highs and lows. And uh, I remember one day uh, when the Tories had their first crisis in Europe and uh, they had a big rebellion. I think it ran to, a, it was certainly into the, the, the sort of high tens. I can't remember if it was 70 or 80 or something like that. And it was a difficult day for the Conservative Whip's office. And as we did on occasions uh, at the end of these difficult days, uh, I offered uh, Patrick and Drama of my drinks cabinet. And we reviewed the day. And uh, Patrick said, you know, I guess this is my tuition fees day. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Do you really think? Um, go to the window, Patrick. Do you hear the riot squad in Whitehall? <laughs> <laughs> and he had the good grace to say that yes, you know, it had been a difficult day, but it was uh, not, not quite, quite the same. Office. So were you all in, all in one office together? No, we okay. ran separate offices. Okay. So your, drink, your drinks cabinet was my drinks cabinet was my drinks cabinet. Right. His was his. His was yeah. his. Uh, I think you know there might be a, a, a PhD thesis somewhere. Uh, for some bright young thing to, to write about the uh, influence of the, uh, the Scotch whisky industry <laughs> on parliamentary management, <laughs> twenty ten to thirteen. So you had you had Scotch whisky in yours. What did he have in his? Uh, oh, they had a, a, a good range. A good okay for all uh, for all uh, occasions. Yes, they, they catered for all tastes. All tastes. Now I've got to ask because you've I can see you've got a um, cartoon on the wall of uh, you with a very yep. long whip in your hand. Yeah. And, of course, your official title was Comptroller of the Household. Indeed. What does that mean? Well, for reasons that probably are known to some, but uh, certainly uh, never been explained to me, the uh, government whips are uh, officers of the royal household, or at least a a small number of them are. There are three government whips who hold uh, honorary titles in the royal household. There is the uh, chamber or the vice chamberlain, I think, the treasurer and the controller or comptroller, as it is slightly arcanely written. And I was the controller of the royal household. So on Queen's speech days, the three of us would be picked up by a car in Westminster, driven up to Buckingham Palace. And uh, we would then leave the third, which in the early days was Marc Francois, to be a hostage for the safe return of the Queen. And he would watch the Queen's speech in Buckingham Palace. And uh, Mr Randall and myself, that's John Randall, the other the Tory Deputy Chief Whip, along with a couple of people from the uh, wider royal household, were driven back down the mall in an open top. Uh, horse-drawn carriage uh, into to Westminster in our morning suits with our top hats with our wands of office where thereafter to proceed behind Her Majesty into the House of Lords where the gracious speech was read. Of all the many things that I can justifiably say I don't think I signed up for as a 14-year-old when I joined the Liberal Party on <laughs> Isla uh, in Argyll. I think that's pretty near the top of the list. <laughs> it was utterly surreal. 
but uh, it's part of just what goes with the job. You're not going to change it, so suck it up and get on. What do you get as being uh, control of the household? As control of the household, you have an audience, first of all, with the Queen to be presented with your wand of office, uh, which I still have in the cupboard. In the cupboard. In the cupboard. And uh, it's a bit like a slightly oversized thin snooker cue with a silver cuff in the middle of it, which is threaded. So it uh, makes up into a a wand of office, which is about five foot long. Up up to your eyes. Up to your eyes. And uh, you're presented with this by the Queen at your uh, audience on taking office and when you leave office you have another audience and you hand it back. Now this is in fact, it's still in my possession because I was one of the last uh, before austerity hit Buckingham Palace and these days I understand uh, the wand of office goes from office holder to office holder whereas in my day it was uh, still something that came... Each individual at the end of their time in office kept their, their wand and it was engraved with their name, as indeed this one is. So you've got... you've got How much they cost it? Austerity, man. They had to stop doing this. <laughs> I don't know. I never thought it sensible to ask. Uh, and a... Uh, it's um, it's priceless. There we are. There we are, and, and much, much, much more unique than having a red box. Oh, well, you've got one of those as I well. Have one of those as well. well. Yes. You... Traditionally, actually, whips had uh, black boxes. For some reason, I thought it would be a good idea to have a red one. I didn't actually have one as Secretary of State. My uh, red box comes to my time as, as Chief Whip. Alistair Carmichael, thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Enjoyed the chat. Catch every episode in the Red Box Whip Round by subscribing to the podcast on your Android device and on iTunes, where it would be great if you could leave a review. And for daily insight behind the scenes on life in Westminster, sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox email. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. 